0: Live, interactive, and here to assist you if you need help. Dealing with addiction, mental health challenges, and more. This is Road to Recovery with your host, Yona Budd. Only on 640 Toronto.
1: There's also a real crisis right now in, in child and youth mental health. I don't know a family who isn't trying to find support for their kids.
2: And good evening and welcome to the show. This is Yona Bud. I'll be your host evening on Road to Recovery on 640 Toronto. Thank you for joining us. We know you have other choices and we're glad that you chose us in the studio tonight with Corey and Natasha and we're excited to be here with you. Uh, Lots to do, lots to talk about, some crazy stuff going on in the world. I don't know if the therapist guy can say crazy, but I just did. Uh, love to hear from you tonight, 416 870 6400 or 888 225 8255. Or give us a text. I set up a private line here at 647 488 0086. 647 0086. You want to text us a message you don't feel like calling, you're afraid some of the thousands of people that are listening are going to recognize your voice, I promise. We won't tell them that it's you. Um, you know, there's lots of stuff going on in the world, and I really wanted to focus um, uh, the first half of the show on, on kids. Um, you know, if you're looking at what's going on, and we'll get to it later in the show, look up what's going on uh, in the news today as it relates to the police presence in Ottawa, uh, people bringing their children, uh, bringing them to the front lines. Um, so there's a whole discussion about what's good for kids, what's not for ki- good for kids. But if you've got a kid, um, give us a call right now. If you're concerned that your kid... Might not be doing so well, um, you know. Maybe have some issues around sleep and uh, socializing. Maybe not eating as well. Uh, well, there was a study a conducted, a uh, survey study conducted by a Gene Site Mental Health Monitor from a Myriad of Genetics, and the researchers surveyed 323 uh, parents in the United States from of children 16 to 24 and 641 teens and young adults aged 16 to 24. Uh, they they decided that after they conducted in August and September, uh, the margin of error, you know, like in any other uh, survey is plus or minus a little bit, but the researchers found that only half of the parents were very or completely confident that they could tell the difference between normal adolescent challenges with their kids and a mental health condition. Actually, over a third of them, over 35%, were only somewhat confident that they could tell the difference between their kids just having a normal day or perhaps having some difficulties, almost half of the parents said 47 percent thought their kids would not fully uh, be comfortable talking to them about their mental health challenges. But many parents of teens, you know, if you're a parent of a teen or you know someone is a parent of a teen, your kids may stop confiding in you, right? Um, but the survey shows that it's vital. For their mental health, to have those conversations. Uh, if you suspect that your kid is uh, is, is suffering a little bit, you've got to talk to them, and you got to talk to a healthcare professional about what your concerns are. I mean, perhaps even talk to your doctor, family doctor, or you know, um, get some advice from a counselor. Perhaps I get lots of people that call me. We um, spend some time with them and give them some advice on how to approach loved ones, kids in particular. There are strategies that work, some that don't. Right. Struggling with, kids are struggling with mental health issues. There are red flags. There are things you can see, things you can tell, especially if you know your kid and you're tuned in. So they're tuned into their life, so to speak, right, and their behaviors. A lot of things parents should tune into are like in major domains of functioning, things like school, family, friends, uh, their activity, their grades. Uh, I, By the way, I know a lot of kids. I deal with a lot of kids in my youth practice that um, have excellent grades and uh, on the outside look like they're doing really well, but uh, on the inside, not so much. So if your kids are doing well in school and seem to not be causing trouble and, you know, pretty quiet and just staying out of your way, um, but things are a little off maybe, um, you got to pay attention. Just the, the grades themselves aren't enough. And I always tell parents it's the quiet ones you want to pay attention to. The ones that yell and scream are a little easier to identify because they're acting out and telling you they want help. So if your kids acting out and meaning that they're you know being uh, you know they're acting in some way that doesn't appear to be right they're a little more sullen a little more withdrawn um, their appetite's affected, their sleep, their energy level, they're they're not they're not finding joy in the things they used to find joy. And by the way, with teenagers in particular, there's lots of stuff going on, right? Could be a could be a, a problem with a, you know, a, a relationship at school, whether it's romantic or otherwise, or just trying to fit in with friends or pressures from from classes and, and marks, especially these days coming back from this pandemic. Um, really difficult. But the survey showed that almost a third of the parents believed that worry or anxiety were the same thing, but they're actually very different. Here's here's what you got to understand: worry can be a component of the anxiety, but oftentimes worry is incidental or transient, meaning that it comes and it goes. For example, a kid can be worried about a test at school and they come across as kind of anxious, right? Because anxious and worry look like and smell like and taste like the same thing. And they had a, you know, and when the test is over suddenly everything is good. Their worry is gone. They're back. They're back on their feet and they're, so to speak, and everything is wonderful. Anxiety on the other hand is uh, we all might, might know, but certainly I can share right now. It's often felt in your body, right? It can take the form of like a headache. Sometimes when it's for me, when my anxiety acts up, I have stomach aches. I can feel it in the back of my neck. It can be nausea. It can be, it can disrupt your sleep. You know, if I'm having a, an anxious evening, uh, I try not to, of course I use good therapy and good skills around that. But, um, if it's affecting my sleep, I can tell right away. So there's a difference between just feeling a little bit down, having the blues, versus actually being depressed. So a state of blues, feeling sad, hopelessness, or you know, worthless, whatever, uh, apathetic. It's not. It, it's it's different than something like depression that may last for long periods of time. So what we suggested that you initiate conversations with your kids. You actually talk to them um, about what's going on in their life. Don't just look at the kid's behavior, look at their feelings behind those behaviors. According to uh, one of the experts, it deals with the University of Louisville School of Nursing. He's the director of graduate psychiatric nursing uh, studies. He says, don't just, uh," his last name is Thomas, by the way, don't just look at the kid's behaviors, look at the feelings behind those behaviors. For example, if the kids throw something at the wall, I don't know, most parents, I think most parents would freak out if a kid threw something at the wall. But let's say your kid's acting out. They throw something against the wall. You ask them a question. So are you frustrated or are you angry? And and if so, what are you angry about? Versus, you know, kids don't just throw things. They throw things or they act out or they pound on the floor or they yell and scream or they put their hand through the door or they do slam doors. They tell you you hate them and use horrible words to talk about their parents because they're feeling something inside that's not right. You need to talk to them. You need to sub- figure out what's going on. What's wrong? Don't just ask them what's wrong because then there's going to no, know nothing. You know nothing's wrong. Be specific. Are you worried about something, dude? You having problems at school or like something going on with your friends? Like I don't want to pry, but if you're in any kind of trouble or you need some support, I'm here. Talking like that versus what's wrong with you? How come you no no no? Right? So we tend to react to our children in, in not so nice a way. So don't be afraid to ask specific questions. Read between the lines, right? Try to understand what they're talking about. doesn't mean you don't want to be in. So when the kid, for example, says, uh, I don't want to be here anymore, a lot of parents jump to the conclusion that the kid wants to kill themselves. Well, you have to ask the question, like, what do you mean here right now? Like here or where you are or at school or life in general? Well, the kid would say, well, I want to be dead or I want to kill myself. It's It's very rare that you're going to hear that coming out of their mouths like that, that you know, in, in, in just out of nowhere. So asking them about things like self-harm or suicide, a lot of parents think that that kind of puts ideas in their head. That's a bunch of garbage. It's not true. It's a myth. Actually, it's more like taking the lid off a boiling pot. So if you actually start talking about it, you can let the steam out a little bit, so to speak, and the kid's a little more open to be responsive and talk about The stuff that's going on. Over 75% of young respondents in the survey said their mental health challenges had started long before they turned 13. And only half of the parents sought treatment for their kids' mental health, and nearly three-quarters of the youngsters who did not get help said they wished they had done so at a younger age. So you have to recognize what kids are being faced with these days. There's bullying, there's cyberbullying, now they're back to school, so physical bullying, there's all kinds of things going on. Um, you know, it, it's not the old, I'm going to beat you up or kill you kind of bullying, but it's, you know, don't show you up at the party or the football game or make sure I don't see you there or ridiculing or ostracizing people. There's lots of stuff that we as, as, as parents may not be tuned into. You need to talk to your kids. You need to trust your gut. The best advice I can give anybody is to trust your gut. You know your kids better than anybody. If it doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. So don't second guess yourself. Lots of good resources out there. I would recommend if you're concerned about your kids' mental health, you reach out to your family doctor, get connected to an expert in a particular field if we're concerned. Uh, youth mental health is a big deal, but it requires our parents and uh, family and people at school to pay attention to what's going on with kids to get ahead of them so that we can... Uh, cut them off at the past so to speak before anything really bad happens when we come back we're going to talk about kids learning about dementia and alzheimer's in school i'll share a bit of a personal story as well uh, we'll be right back here yona bud 640 toronto
0: welcome back to road to recovery with yona bud only on 640
2: toronto thank you and welcome back to road to recovery evening in the studio with Natasha and Corey. Excited to hear from you and share with you as we go on this road to recovery. By Just by dialing in, by the way, just by tuning us in this evening, guess what? You're already on the road to recovery. If you want to share with us, give us a call, 416-870-6400 or 888-225-8255. Um, unfortunately, in the last couple of weeks, I've had to come to terms with the fact that my mom, who is a uh, um, close to 95, she'll be 95 in April, um, is, uh, not doing so well. She was, uh, tested positive for COVID month about a month ago. No, no real, no real, uh, symptoms, but out of nowhere began showing some serious signs of dementia, uh, beyond what she was, um, showing before. So such that, you know, didn't remember who I was, who my mother was and so on. It's kind of a sad story. Um, and I was talking to my kids about it at dinner, and my grandchildren happened to be there and listening in and they're both under ten and trying to have that conversation with them about why super booby, which is what we they call her um, super booby is um not doing so well and um, and what that really means and it's a difficult conversation to have because. You don't know where to begin, you don't know how much is scary, what's not scary. Well, I was I was thrilled to find that um there's a program out there. Uh there are people out there speaking virtually the grade seven and eight um at Bakersfield Public School here in Thornhill, where not far from where I live. Uh the person's name is Jade Crystal and asked students if they know what dementia or Alzheimer's is, and a few put up their hands. People think dementia only affects older people, Crystal goes on to say, but that's not the case. Cognitive decline in Alzheimer's are typically associated with aging, with one in four seniors over the age of 85 in Canada being diagnosed with some form of dementia, and the article goes on. There's an article, uh, an excellent article here uh, that talks about um, the situation. More than 400,000 people live with dementia. By 2023, it's projected that annual healthcare costs for people with dementia will grow from 8 billion to 16 billion. So it's a big deal. Um, and by the time the symptoms of disease like Alzheimer's occur, uh, it's too late, according to Lynn Poslin. She's the founder of Women's Brain health um anyway to carry on to teach younger students how they can protect their brains crystal um, jay crystal uh, has been virtually um, popping into grade five and Five to grade eight classes across Greater Toronto and Hamilton to deliver 75-minute sessions on brain health in those presentations. We focus on the healthy lifestyle choices we want to make, Crystal says. Adding the program pairs well with things students in that age group are already learning in their health and physical education curriculum. As of February, Jade Crystal has already presented to more than 1,000 students, and she's my guest here this evening. Jade, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, so if the people don't know who you are, she's the program director of Brainable. And Brainable is an Ontario Ministry of Education-funded initiative. It's a free education program in Ontario, and it's geared to kids eight, uh, grades 5 to 8 and how to protect their brain health. It's created by the Women's Brain Health Initiative. Uh, Jay Crystal is an experienced and well-respected educator, where she was a grade 8 homeroom teacher, Talk about being on the front lines. French immersion with the York Region uh, District School Board. She also serves on Women's Brain Health Initiatives, Young Persons Cabinet, a dynamic team of millennials that want to educate others on the benefits of protecting their brain through healthy life choices. Holy smokes, like I'm sitting there talking to my <laughs> grandkids, Jade, and first of all, you're like a superstar in this world right? oh, thank brain you. Re- brain recovery. Like, I'm really, it's like just waiting for, like, to see where your medals of honor are. But, um, <laughs> If you don't get one, I'm going to send you one after the show. But, but I'm sitting there talking to my grandkids, trying to explain why, you know, why my mother, who they call Super Booby, is, you know, just not remembering things so well. I mean, how does it start? Like, how do you start? Let's, before we get into how you educate kids, how do you get into the conversation with them? I can't be the only, you know, grandparent that's talking about great grandparents or the only kid that's talking about their grandparents. Um, or sometimes parents, perhaps, with younger children, little children. How do you explain this stuff to them?
1: It's hard. You know, It's for them, it's so far away, right? They they can't even imagine a world. The the example I always give the students is, imagine taking a bite into your sandwich and forgetting how to swallow. Like, these are things that we take for granted. But as we age you know, our brains change and our, and our brain cells, uh, our brain cell counts go down and, and that all affects how the brain functions and things that we do take for granted just aren't there anymore. Um, it, it's, a, it's a tough concept to teach to children. And I think the tougher concept is for them to realize that there are actually things that they can do now to protect their brains down the road. For them, like I said, it feels so far away, um, but there really is so much. And it's funny because when I ask the students, you know, have you ever heard of the term Alzheimer's or dementia before? I always have students raising their hand, always ready to share. Oh, yes, my great grandmother has that, or oh, yes, I heard that. You know, they, they've heard of the terms, but I don't know that they they fully get it, yeah. and that's yeah. why we're so happy to be able to go in and explain it to them.
2: Uh, Brainable, let me ask you something. This um, this initiative, um, the Women's Brain Health, is that connected to Baycrest by any chance?
1: Uh, no. So uh, Women's Brain Health Initiative is, um, they're actually celebrating their 10-year anniversary um, this oh, wow. year. Very exciting. Um, and, and Brainable is, it's a new program. Um, so it began in the fall. Uh, as you mentioned, I was part of Women's Brain Health Initiative as part of the Young Person's Cabinet. And um, I'm taking part in these Millennial Minds programs, learning about what we as millennials can do to protect our brains. And as I'm part of this session, I'm thinking, you know, this is what I'm trying to teach to my students as part of the health curriculum. Like, why, why is there not, you know, a program where someone can go in and and really teach the students what they can do to protect their brains, you know, now and not only not only protect their brains for the future, but also improve their current brain function. Um, and so that's kind of how Brainable came to be.
2: You know, it's interesting because. Um, you know, I was reading the article that supports uh, us introducing you, and um, it talks about your brain peaks. I, I didn't know this. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. in my uh, I'm in my sixth decade. Uh, I'll leave it there. But um, <laughs> I understand that it uh, it start. You know, your brain pretty much peaks, as it says in the article, at 25. So one would imagine, kind of, you know, five to 25. Uh, is the time we should really be focused on good brain health and, you know, doing, you know, coming up with strategies and scheduling and, 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 and sort of habitual things, things that we do on a regular basis that as kids we can continue to do as adults that just naturally make us healthy. No one talks about it though, Jade. Like it's the first uh-huh. time I realized, you know, and I'm a therapist. I, I had no idea that the brain peaks out really at 25 in terms of its ability to be, you know, in at its peak, so to speak. Um, that's it. Yeah. Why aren't we doing more of what you're doing in the education system? Like, why is this just not part of the curriculum in York Region schools or in Toronto schools as part of, you know, sort of, you know, fourth grade to, to, to 12th grade education? Uh, what, what's, what's holding us back from sharing this stuff that you do, um, in a very targeted way? But, um, you know, you can only do so much. A thousand kids is amazing, but there's tens of thousands that I'm sure mm-hmm. you're not able to reach because of, uh, limitations what what's the what's the opportunity to spread this? Right. well,
1: you know the Ontario curriculum does cover certain things. so for example, they, they're teaching students about healthy eating and they're teaching students about the importance of physical exercise. but I think what's missing is the tie to the brain. So yes, it's important to eat our eat our like you know for our fruits and vegetables, let's say and that's what the students are learning but but let's break it down further and that's when I go in and I say yes, and vegetables are great they contain antioxidants and this is what antioxidants do but we also need you know a high amount of omega-3 fatty acids and and here are some examples you know walnuts flax seeds oily fish uh, and this is what they do and so i guess i'm kind of more i'm supplementing the program um and you know as i mentioned they're learning that physical exercise is important. But most of these students just think it's important for their bones and muscles. And it's like, well, no, it can improve your memory, your concentration, um, the amount of oxygen and nutrients that go to your brain. So I'm taking what's in the curriculum already, and I'm, I'm kind of just adding one more layer to it and talking about how it really does affect the brain, which, as you mentioned, is is going to peak at 25. And so they have. I always tell them, you have the ability to do so much make your brain work even better both now and down the road so why not start now and so yeah it, it is what we're doing in the curriculum it's just a little bit one step further let's say
2: I love it. You're so political. It's perfect. Um, <laughs> but I get it. I, I, I And it's, it's nice to know that there's something actually going on. But, you know, so when we're talking to kids about eating well and working out, and is, is it that kind of stuff that we're talking? I mean, I tell every one of my patients that's in recovery the same thing. Like, you got to sleep well. You got to eat well. You got to have some form of exercise every day. Is that really the th- Are those really the three key things that we're talking about in terms of, you know, young people learning to take care of their mental health? Or, you know, do we caution them on things like, you know, too much time on video games or smoking weed at a young age, like, you know, are we we also dealing with the things that can cause you harm or just the things that will make you feel better and potentially be better as you get older?
1: Oh, no, we are covering both. So our program focuses on the six pillars of brain health. So as you mentioned, you know, the the physical exercise, the healthy eating, the mental exercise, um, sleep, social interaction, and stress reduction. But we also focus on what we have have called our brain busters. So these are the things that that can cause harm to the brain. Um, So that's when we talk about concussion, um, untreated mental illness. We also talk about Alzheimer's and dementia, of course, um, substance abuse and uh, excessive use of social media. So we cover all of this in our 75-minute session, as well as in the magazine that we provide to each student as part of the presentation. Um, and we've also created a teacher resource guide so that teachers have three additional follow-up activities and an assignment uh, with a rubric and everything all based on the presentation so that they can keep the learning going. Uh, but yes, no, it's, you're absolutely right. It's so much more than just the stuff you know, that's good for our brain, but let's actually be careful of the things that can cause harm. So the one I'm that talk- actually surprises. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
2: No, you go ahead. I'm just running out of time. But I go. You can finish off. You got about thirty okay, seconds. Yeah,
1: no. I, I was just gonna say, um, that what the students are really, you know, learning about is the effects of too much screen time and the importance of putting away their screens thirty minutes before bed. That is my key message to them.
2: Yeah. Good luck with that one. Uh, <laughs> I'm talking to Jade Crystal. She's the program director of Brainable. Will you come back some other time and talk to us some more?
1: I would absolutely love to. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, it's,
2: a, it's a pleasure, and uh, kudos to you, and continue to have strength in doing what you do. It's really remarkable, and I'm, I'll sleep a little better tonight knowing that you're out there doing what you do. Thanks so much. Wonderful. We were talking to uh, to uh, Jade here, Jade Crystal, um, just a wonderful uh, person, really focused on making sure that kids come out the other side a little stronger, a little healthier maybe than then uh, perhaps before they meet her, right? When we come back, we're going to talk about kids and trucks and this whole thing going on in Ottawa. It's like I'm so pissed off. I don't even know where to start. So it's going to be a bit of a rant. I'm telling you. So be prepared. This is Yona Bud, 640 Toronto.
0: Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640
2: Toronto. And welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, it's Yona Bud. I appreciate you being here with us this evening. Uh, we're talking. Um, about um, right now about the kids and um, thought we had a kind of a clip coming up here from the police chief, but um, we we're, were talking about the kids uh, that are involved in this protest and the, the issues that that provides for not just um, policing, uh, but for other participants, the other adults that are there and so on. I mean, I you know, it's, it's bad enough that the, that kids in general, if you see children, At certain kinds of activities, certain kinds of rallies, biker meetings, uh, and I I got nothing against uh, guys that ride motorcycles. I'm all for it. I'm big supporter if you are doing it in the right, healthy way. But people get together at gatherings and they forget that kids are affected from things like simple things like secondhand smoke. Uh, You know, I can tell you how many times in the course of a a week or two where I'm in a situation where I see a bunch of adults sitting around having a conversation with you know kids in strollers while they're the, the adults are smoking and the kids are sitting in strollers, clearly being close enough to the smoke. And, and people don't even stop and think about it. And that's something as simple as and common as smoking outside, smoking inside, and so on. That's something just really simple to talk about. What I'm talking about here is way beyond that. I'm talking about children, close to 100 of them apparently, according to the reports, I didn't see it myself, but according to the reports, over 100 kids were part of this uh, three-week, almost four-week now, um, protest, and many of them living in trucks. They had bouncy castles for the kids. They had food areas for the kids. They had play areas for the kids, puzzle areas. They had daycare set up so people could leave their kids and go to the front lines of this. Um, And the question is, I'm asking you this evening, 416-870-6400 if you want to answer me. It's just, it's just an appropriate thing to do. Some people would say, "Yeah, it's amazing. You know, get a chance to teach your kids how to be verbal and how to express themselves, and you know, get out and stand up for what they believe in." I'm not sure that a five year old or a seven year old really understands what that means. I'm not sure my grandkids would understand what that meant. They would be cold and freezing, and where's the food, and where can I lie down and sit down, and what's going on? And they'd be fearful. Can you only imagine? Only imagine what goes on in the minds of these children that are on these trucks or part of this this enclave this this uh, uh this activity if you will this this encampment can you imagine what goes through these little kids minds at night when they see rows and rows of police that are absolutely dressed to the nines with fatigue and battle gear with weapons and batons and they're big they're just big tall strong human beings that are dressed in these uniforms and they're scary looking. I can only imagine for a five to seven year old, 10 year old, 12 year old, maybe a 17 year old might think it's kind of cool as long as they don't catch them smoking weed in the back of the truck. But I'll tell you, I've been watching the news. I've got monitors in my studio. I'm able to see what's going on even right now as we speak. And I see kids. I see clips of kids at the front lines, parents giving their kids. I saw one father giving his kid a bite of the banana, and the two older kids were okay. But the little baby, maybe two, three, four years old, dressed in a huge snowsuit, clinging to his father's leg, like, pick me up, pick me up, don't let me go. I'm not sure it's a good thing. I'm pretty sure it's a bad thing. I can only imagine the post traumatic stress that children would see just by watching the reports. I have, I already, my phone was lit up over the, over today and well into the evening by some of my patients who are having a really hard time dealing with the anxiety around what they watch on TV in terms of the occupation. I mean, the simple answer is change the channel. But it's everywhere today. It's in all the news, all the radio, all the TV, all the papers. Everyone's talking about the occupation and the police presence. Scary stuff for kids. Not the best choice. A selfish choice, I think, on the part of parents. You know, it's not, again, it's nice to say we're the cool parent. It's not like, you know, it's not like when I was a kid and there were things like sit ins. We had, the parents had sit ins. We had, we had sit ins at school. I remember we'd all go out and sit outside and sit down and, you know, not be in class. And that would speak to something that was going on with the teachers and their union and the government, whatever. It was all garbage. Good excuse for me to leave school. But, you know, to me, it didn't mean anything. Just, you know, my head wasn't into it. But I guess for many, there were. And some of my students, some of those students, my friends, my, my schoolmates went on to make lives for themselves in the area of, uh, politics and public procedure and such. I mean, public policy and whatever. So, you know, I get it. You know, I kind of get it. I, un- I understand that what we're talking about here is, is the chance for kids to understand how to, how to voice their, their, their thoughts and ideas. This isn't how it's done. It's not done by driving huge trucks into a town and occupying the downtown and affecting other people's lives and sleep and you know home people that are home with illnesses and haven't been able to sleep for weeks and weeks and all kinds of stuff going on with their own mental health and issues, but for a child to see the presence of rows of huge police officers and our and and and, and R C M P dressed in, in in fatigue and and like and and the big police vehicles and just being around all the trucks and truckers and the late night partying and i can only imagine the consumption of alcohol and who knows what else around the fire pits and around the bouncy castles and you know it, it you know a lot of people if you look at the at the video of some of the um the better coverage if you look at some of the stuff that that global covered throughout the uh, throughout this episode throughout this this situation um you'll see a lot of people were partying it was a party atmosphere. Let's go down. You can only imagine. Let's go down to the protest, man. Like we'll hang out. We'll have a few beers and like see what's up. Party atmosphere. It's not, you know, it's party. It's going to be a party perhaps for the first evening or two. You know, if in Toronto here, where our police officers who are the best, I think in the country, um, maybe some of the best in the world, uh, they, um, they, you know, they did a good job of letting people say what they had to say. Moved them out of town, made sure that they weren't, you know, got too close to areas where they could stay for too long, and bingo, bango, a couple of days, it was done and gone, and it all worked really well. Uh, I'm talking to Lee here, who's on the phone. She wants to speak about the children at the protest. Lee, welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Are you there, Lee? there Okay. Are you there, buddy? Yeah. Can you hear it? Yeah, I can. Loud and clear. What's up, man?
3: Uh, not much. Uh, so, yeah, I'm from Mississauga. I'm a pharmacist. Yeah. I'm just listening to what you are saying about the kids and how dangerous the situation find it is there. Right?
2: I can't hear you very well, buddy. You're going to have to sit still and talk to us because you're, you're jumping in and out.
3: Yeah, you're saying the situation down there is pretty dangerous for the kids, right?
2: Well, potentially, yep. I'm not there, so I can't tell you what I see for sure, but what I'm hearing and reading it doesn't sound right. real good.
3: Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like you're kind of setting up a story that it's pretty traumatic for these kids there, but they're, literally they've been there for, for weeks on end. And the types of stuff that you're describing, um, the real escalation here is coming from the part of the government. And a PM that's calling a national emergency over... What is simply a form of yeah yeah I,
2: I yeah buddy buddy I total, totally I totally get it but I'm really talking about whether it's a safe environment for the kids not necessarily you know the political side of it I really appreciate your well, your call and who's checking making it, the right?
3: unsafe environment here you're talking about confiscating their kids and, their bio- and involving children's aid and stuff and you're creating stories over that your secondhand accounts here like there's tons of <laughs> on the ground footage of horses charging in and.
2: Kids, you know what no, I'm gonna you, you know, know, buddy 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 called, uh, right. buddy Lee, Lee 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 the kids shouldn't be there thanks for the that. call I appreciate the call could you cut them off please thank you you know you know you see pictures of police charging in on them they shouldn't be there to begin with for police to charge in on what parent takes their kids to a frontline situation where it's potentially volatile and then someone like Lee stands up and says it's the government's fault don't take your kids there they don't belong there. It's not a safe place. Come for the afternoon, stay on the sidelines, sit from a distance. Explain to your kids what's going, what are going, what's going on and take them home. Kids don't belong in a in in, in a in a convoy of trucks for 3 4 day, weeks at a time. You know, listening to the to the the hack the heckling and the noise and the and what's going on. I don't care about the freedoms of speech. I don't care about what we're talking about, whether the government's right or wrong. I didn't vote for Trudeau for what it's worth, but whatever. It's not about that. It's about little kids in a situation relying on the adults in their life to make the right decision, and they don't. So if Lee has a problem with that, so be it. I apologize for uh, offending him if any, in any way that I might have. But you know what? I'll tell you, man. It's not about the government's inability and what we're doing with horses and people with batons. We've been asking these people to leave for, months, for weeks. There's other people, there's other kids, there's other adults that live in those neighborhoods. They haven't had their life. They didn't get a chance to vote and say, yeah, I'm for the truckers. Let's get this done. Anyway, you want to rile me up? That's a great way to make a phone call. We'll be right back shortly. We've got more stuff to do, talking about uh, mental health funding for youth uh, mental health um, post-pandemic and what we're going to be doing about it. We'll be right back. Yonabud, Bud, 640 Toronto.
0: Addiction is a serious issue and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto.
2: And welcome back to the show. This is Yona here on the road to recovery. Thank you for joining me. If you're just tuning in right now, uh, we're talking about all kinds of stuff related to mental health, addiction, and just kind of getting through and getting past and onto the other side. I apologize, by the way, if I've offended anybody with my profanity earlier in the last segment, I was just, uh, maybe a little more passionate than my boss might like but hopefully I'll still be here next week so we'll see um more youth mental health funding urged to head off the pandemic trauma um in Alberta it's uh, they're very unprepared to deal with a coming massive surge of mental illness around youth and what was already a gathering, uh, you know, like a met, like this huge storm of mental health issues facing the provinces and all the provinces for that matter, um, and the adolescents prior to COVID nineteen, it's an emergency that's set to explode once the pandemic passes, according to Dr. Sterling Sparshu, and um, they are he they are the president of the Alberta Medical Section of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. In the ten years leading up to COVID, there was more than doubling of emergency presentations for children and adolescent mental health according to the doctor who practices in the calgary area it will be undeniably continue to grow up my fear is growth will be exponential the total the toll of nearly two years of pandemic restrictions that have placed constraints in in in-person education sports and social activities already well advanced in presenting in the hospital settings two years of disruption and trauma and it goes on to say Right, one of those who suffered is uh, talks about a, a, one of this a young fellow, uh, twenty three years old, Calgarian, who um, his first name is Leland, and had some issues, tried to commit suicide a few times. His initial treatment, they were they basically confined him in a mental health facility in very what he refers to is insensitive care. If you present in a hospital setting with uh, thoughts of harming yourself you are going to be restrained, you are going to be restricted in terms of your movement, you are likely going to be medicated, and you're not going to get a whole ton of therapy, certainly in the initial 72 to, you know, five, six, seven 6, 7 days. Uh, it's just a maintenance management process in the beginning, uh, but, you know, it's better than having someone on the street, pre- you know, potentially hurting themselves. This young man goes on to say he released. He was released from the hospital feeling horrible, and then again he attempted suicide. Um, overall, he says, our health care system has obvious flaws, needs to be studied. What's needed is to help to deliver that is a doubling of the mental health care uh, share of Alberta's health care budget. So it's, this article goes on a little political to talk about money and such. Um, they only have 61 child adolescent psychiatrists in all of Alberta, and a 10-year projection shows that they need to add at least – 50 to 60 more annually just to keep up. So here's the issue that we're talking about, is there's a shortage of the of the kind of help that's required because there's a shortage of the people who in, are in a position trained and prepared to provide that kind of care. Like in Ontario, trying to find a psychiatrist you know and i got a ton of connections i've been doing this for for over 4 decades i know a lot of people i've done a lot of things with a lot of people a lot of people who each other favors they owe me i owe them but even with my contacts it's almost impossible to get someone even a psychiatric assessment sooner than 6 months for someone without contacts you're looking at 18 months or longer these days had a mother call me the other day to tell me that you know she's desperate to get some help for her 17 year old um, and they've been refer- family referred her to a psychiatrist uh, at sick kids. I know that I know the doctor, he's, he does it. he's brilliant, but she can't see her until you know like January of next year. They have an appointment for Jan- and any cancellations, of course, blah blah blah. So in December, a provincial government report drawn from telephone and online and roundtable surveys conducted with over 10,000 Albertans from May to July found a noticeable impact on poverty due to loss of employment having horrible effects on children's mental health and that of youth as well. Professionals reported increased stress, anxiety, grief, depression, eating disorders, self-harm, suicide, suicidal ideation, substance misuse among kids and youth under 16. You can read that in the Child and Youth Wellbeing Review. So what we're talking about is older kids, 15 to 18, particularly females, are likely to report more negative impacts Lately than before, and find that more than seven out of ten kids develop, youth uh, develop normally during the months marked by reduced social interaction. So, seven out of ten are doing okay, three out of ten not so good. That's 30% of our kids not doing well. And where we are here is we're trying to figure out how we're going to help them. And you know, you can only move the chess pieces so many on so many places, you can't create more boxes on the chessboard right there's only can only move from one place to the other and what we need are more piece more more blocks we need like two chessboards three chessboards so that we can place the right kind of care that we need in this analogy we don't have enough help we don't have enough people we don't have enough therapists I mean, even for, me, for us to keep, our, you know, keep our, 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 uh, our business operating properly, I mean, we're constantly looking to, to hire uh, therapists in, in, at the farm or in our outpatient program at Recover at Home. We're, we're constantly looking to hire people because, honestly, we, we, we bring people in, we train, we develop them, we pay them a good wage, but you know, there are places that perhaps pay, could pay them more. Maybe less hands on care. Anyway, doesn't matter how the, how the, how it, how it, how it kind of rotates, but finding good help is tough. It's tough. So to find people, train them, develop them, you know, that's a couple of year process. But I'll tell you something, there's a lot of students, there's a lot of third year, fourth year students in, in psychiatric programs, in psychology programs, in, in adolescent counseling programs, and social work programs. There's a lot of third year, last year students prior to their, their graduate year. That would be amazing, would be very helpful if we could bring them out of the, uh, you know, dust them off, so to speak, and put them on the bench so that we can put them on the ice or get them to play when they need to, get them to help when we have the opportunity. We need more people, more bodies, more care. Money's great, but it's got go to go to advancing the ability to provide more therapists, more skilled people, more skilled people in the school system, more skilled people in the medical system, more schooled, skilled people in, in you know, all of the areas that your kids may touch. I highly recommending that all clergy... If they're not already skilled in the area of, of social work and, and uh, counseling, most are, by the way, um, across pretty much every denomination. But, you know, even some young clergy getting some additional training in the area of counseling and, and crisis management and crisis uh, therapy. More people, more bodies. We're never going to be able to match the number of kids that need to help with the number of people that we have. If you're watching what's going on in Ottawa, you'll notice that they're constantly bringing in, new recruits they you know as the the frontline officers get cold and, and 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 get burnt out they return they 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 retreat and they're immediately replaced by a fresh line of new officers we need more frontline people we need more therapists we need more psychiatrists we need more social workers we need more guidance counselors we need more of everything to try to make this work And that's really the problem. You can do all you want. You can put together all the programs and proposals and everything you want and all the funding, but someone has got to be able to fill those needs. And I'll tell you, there aren't a lot of unemployed people today that are dealing in the world of mental health addiction and youth wellness. So we'll see what happens as time goes. We're going to keep our eyes on it. That's what we do here. And uh, we'll keep you abreast as information comes to light that we can uh, talk about and see where where we're going. But I'm telling you right now, if we don't get things lined up, we're going to see some real, uh, real ugly stuff over the next decade coming out of the youth of today as they become young adults without the skills and strategies and, ta- and, and talk therapy that's required to keep them healthy so they can sleep at night. We'll be right back after our break. This is a longer break, of course, at the hour. More news to do and all that kind of stuff. So it's a good time to get up, stretch your legs, go get something to eat, use the bathroom, go have a smoke if that's what you do. If you don't, that's even better. And uh, we'll see you at uh, around 10.04, 10.05. Yona Bud here, 640 Toronto. Live, interactive, and here to
0: assist you if you need help. Dealing with addiction, mental health challenges, and more. This is Road to Recovery with your host, Yona Budd. Only on 640 Toronto.
2: Back to the Road to Recovery. Get back on the bus here. Get in your seat. Get yourself comfortable. Make sure you keep your arms in. Don't stick your hands out the windows, so to speak. We have another hour to do here. We're going to talk about some stuff that uh, I think is uh, significant. I'm hoping you feel so as well. Uh, We appreciate you joining us here tonight. If you have any comments to share with Yonah Uh, In the context of what we're talking about, I'd appreciate hearing from you. 416-870-6400 or 888-225-8255. And uh, tonight we're talking about, um, after break here, we're talking about more than 2,000 guns stolen from a truck parked at Peterborough Trucking Company. And the police say that law enforcement agencies across Canada have been notified of the theft. At approximately 7.30 a.m. on February 13th, Peterborough police officers were called to a trucking company on Park Hill Road East after reports uh, uh, a truck carrying more than 2,000 firearms with clips was stolen from the yard. Police say that through the investigation, it was determined that the incident happened around 3 a.m. Police add officers attended the scene and canvassed the area. It's believed that there was no ammunition on the truck, unfortunately. Uh, While early in the investigation, it's believed that this is an isolated incident, other law enforcement agencies across the province have been notified," uh, reads a release issued by police uh, recently. Um, just want to make sure that we're all on the same page here, and um, you know, we, we constantly keep talking about where the guns are coming from and how they're getting into this country and so on. You know, here here's a situation where the guns are local, right? And they're actually, you know, here. They're 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 in the neighborhood. People are, are able to we're able to find you know what's going on. Uh, just right around the corner, you know. These are guns that apparently are coming from, uh, um, are coming from, uh, you know, a local, a local area, and um, apparently the, uh, apparently we're in a situation where um, they're manufactured locally, according to the, to the article that I was reading here. Uh, inventory check of a stolen trailer full of guns has been revealed. Thirteen of them, small caliber guns, are still missing. The tech the, the theft took place in the early mornings on February 14th the truck is uh, parked in uh, Peterborough it was a trailer carrying more than 2,000 firearms um, it was uh, what we're we going on to say here it, it was the, the, the guns were unaccounted uh, were accounted for but savage arms uh, that's where the theft took place it was their firearms uh, that were taken a manufacturer just north of Peterborough says that the uh, weekend theft More than 2,000 firearms were stolen, and they're doing what they can to help, working with police and so on to try to come up with a you know a solution around this uh, particular situation. Uh, Joining me this evening uh, is my good friend, my brother, uh, Louis March. He is the uh, Louis is the founder of Zero Gun Violence, and Louis, welcome to the show again. Um, Holy smokes, man! I I read this article, put it all together tried to lock you in for tonight's show and just could hardly wait to get you on so we could talk about it this is insane well, thanks for having me back again yeah um this is this is like off the hook man you and i constantly we've been doing this for years right and we've been talking about this on air for you you know you and i for years and you know we always keep saying you know i keep saying you well, where are the guns coming from you know and they're like they're coming across the border and they're coming on you know, u.s men. and here we find two thousand handguns manufactured in a, a facility in Canada, in Ontario, um, missing, 2,000 guns missing. How did, like, How does that even happen? You know, every
4: time I figured, we figured out something, we realize how much we haven't figured out. It doesn't make any sense. They're telling me that 80% of the guns that are found at crime scenes in Toronto uh, came from across the border illegally, Right. And then I wake up one morning and I hear that a trailer, with it, it wasn't 2,000, it was over 2,000 guns, is missing. Right. right. And now they found a trailer, but now 13 handguns are missing. Like, like, this is the one that we now knew happened because it became public. How much of this is going on that is not reported? Like, what else is going on? Like, like we need a better picture. We need better stats about the criminal activity, the gunplay, the origination of the guns. Like, it seems as though, depending on who you talk to, you're going to get a different response. This doesn't make any sense. How can you tackle this problem if the, if the, if the uh, goalposts keep moving?
2: Like, did you even know that there's a company in Canada, in Peterborough, just south, just about 15 kilometers north of Peterborough, in the area called Lakefield? Did you even know that there was a place there that manufactured handguns? I didn't. No. No, there, there's no way we could have anticipated this,
4: and then not only that, the trailer is unsecured. It's not protected. There's no security.
2: Exactly, no security, who, who no tracking the right devices. That
4: trailer unattended.
2: Yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I'll tell you something. It does. It just doesn't. It just doesn't make any sense. You know, we're, we're, you know, the, the, the we're just so beyond. Scratching our heads trying to figure it all out i, I, I it, this is such a a brain fart on the part of so many people. I, I don't understand how the manufacturer can let a load of two thousand firearms leave their facility in a tractor trailer and then leave the trailer somewhere somehow uh, unbeknownst to anybody. no tracking I, I assume no tracking devices on the trailer or on the on the weapons themselves or the cases that they come in or something. I mean there there's better there's better security. Around you know things that are not life threatening uh, these days, and uh, because of all kinds of thefts and all kinds of of robberies and and crime related to trying to you know people trying to come out the other side of this pandemic with whatever money they can find, beg, borrow, or steal. I, I right, and and here we're finding that you know there's there's a manufacturer like you know less than an hour outside of you know an hour and a half outside of downtown Toronto where you're you're there talking to government and and, and trying to figure out how to get guns off the street. And then two thousand of them show up from just north of the city, and everybody goes, "Well, I don't, I don't know how they got, I don't know how they got lost, I, I don't know." Like, and, there's seriously.
4: A, and there's nobody that's being held accountable. Exactly, nobody is told to answer for this. Exactly. Like, like when we speak to gang people, they say if they ban guns, it's not going to interrupt our uh, gun supply chain. So we're we're assuming that their gun supply chain is those coming across the borders in those uh, freights and so on and so on, right? Right. But no, under our own nose. And they didn't say, they said over 2,000, they still have not told us how many were in that vehicle. They still have not said the right number. Right. And, so, and and I, I'm not
2: even thing. sure. And and I'm and I'm and I'm not even sure. We're not hearing much about the police investigation. We're not hearing. You know, we hear more about the investigation when there's you know a person of of uh, you know in a from a tenderloin part of the city who they're after for you know some kind of gun violence, and the whole city is kind of up in arms about it, and police are all you know all acting out. And here we are. I haven't heard anything about it. Have you? I haven't heard anything.
4: The only thing I've heard is what the media is reporting. The police, whether it's the Toronto police or the Peterborough police, they're keeping everything close to their chest. But how can the public have any confidence in this institution if they manipulate the use of information that they provide to the public? Come clean. Tell us what's going on. And then that will help inform us about making decisions in terms of policy, programming, and funding. I'm angry. Like, Like I'm... They like I'm I'm filled with rage right now, knowing that this it. happened, and uh, what could have happened if that van went missing forever, and what impact would that have on criminal activity and and gun violence in our city? And nobody's yeah. head is rolling, and nobody thinks this is serious. To give the public some clarity in terms of details and how it happened, and who's going to be held responsible.
2: Well, according according to Savage Arms, who's the company that manufactured these firearms, they say he says they, the uh, uh, Savage president Al Casper says that the company had all the necessary uh, what did he say here? They had all the necessary security measures in place, and local authorities were notified immediately when the truck went missing. What is, what do you mean notified them immediately? I don't understand something. Why are two thousand trucks, two thousand guns leaving a facility, going somewhere else? without at least one police cruiser? Like, would that, that make sense?
4: Look, and how long did it take them to report it missing after it went missing? Yeah, This is at 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, right? When did they realize that it went missing? And when did it go missing? And what's the gap in between? There's so much questions, and nobody is providing answers that make any sense to us.
2: First of all we don't even know where these guns were destined to go. We we don't understand where the end the end where the end user is. I mean who first of all that that's one th- you know they've gone missing and so on. Where were they shipping 2000 firearms to? Like are they shipping them to a, to a warehouse for Canadian Tire and then Canadian Tire sells them in their stores? I, I don't know. But 2000 guns was it seems like an awful lot of of handguns um in in one shipment. Not quite sure where They're shipping them to, and what security was on the other end. But I'll tell you something. We're going to find these guns on the street, and it's not going to be a good story.
4: Look, when I heard the story, I'm saying this can't be real. This can't be Toronto. This cannot be 2022 after the amount of gun violence that we've seen and all the people saying how concerned they are and how committed they are to dealing with this. But it yeah, was, I don't it know. Happened. It actually happened. It happened it actually happened Yona and I'm saying, how many times have it happened before and nobody was told.
2: Yeah, nobody exactly. How many how many other situations for like I said who even knew this company even existed. Um, Louis stay with us. We're going to come back and uh talk about some more stuff uh, just after the break. I'm talking to my good friend, my brother Louis March. He's the founder of Zero Gun Violence uh movement and we were talking about 2000 guns missing and just I don't know, it's just mind-boggling. Anyway, as soon as we come back, we're going to flip the switch and talk a little bit about gun violence, youth gun violence. Where, where are these kids getting the guns? Well, now we're figuring out that not so hard to do, I suppose, and who knows how many other gun thefts that we're not hearing about are in the hands of these young people. As soon as we come back, we'll be talking more with Louis March. We'll be right back here. Yonabud, 640, Toronto.
0: You're listening to Road to Recovery, with Yona Budd, only on 640 Toronto.
2: Welcome back, thank you for joining us this evening. I believe we have Jim on the line who wants to share uh, some information or share a thought around the missing guns before we go to the next uh, segment, Uh, and I believe Louis is still on with us as well. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you for listening.
5: Yeah, I I was listening and I know your other guest uh, was upset about, you know, information coming from the police. Uh, first of all, I'll say that I, I, I'm not a police officer, haven't been. Uh, I don't have any police officers in the family, but I have worked with police officers, and I can guarantee you there isn't anybody more upset than the guns that are hitting the street, and they would want to keep them off the street. I think the one thing that, and, you know, your, your guest was complaining about lack of information from the police. But let's think about it. Why did somebody happen to just steal this trailer? Do you think it was happenstance? Somebody, this was inside. Somebody knew what was in that trailer and tipped people off. So
2: there's no question. I, 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 would, I would agree. I would agree. I think what Louis was talking about, though, Jim, to be honest, just to be, to be fair, I think what we're talking about is, okay, so now the guns are missing. Where is our daily update in terms of what we're finding out about it? And I think that, you know, I, I, I think you're right. I have a lot of police friends. I know that they're very upset about what's on the street right now. But um, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of conversation since the, 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 the um, since it was found that these guns were missing. We're, we're not hearing a lot about the updates, uh, what we're doing. Are we able to track down the missing guns? We know who the perpetrators were or anything, any kind of update kind of leaves us guessing. And uh, I think that's where Louie's coming from, Jim.
5: Yeah, and I, and I appreciate it. <laughs> You know his concern and where he's coming from, and i'm not I'm not trying to be overly critical of him. But many times in police investigations, they don't give you all the information that they have. You know they they need to keep things held back to in, in, a, in, in, in many ways, holding back information uh, helps them. Giving too much information gives too much information to the perpetrators and lets Appreciate- them cover their tracks.
2: I appreciate and, and the I, I really think we
5: got to cut him a little bit of slack there. Uh, I know, I, like I said, I, I I've worked with police officers in other capacities, not policing, and I know I can tell you I had a really good friend that was a police officer, and he was absolutely berserk and beside himself with the guns that are coming into the street, and and the fear of those guns, and and what they can do, not just ordinary citizens, but police officers themselves. In, in committing their duties as police officers i just Appreciate think uh that it's unreasonable and, and maybe a, a slight bit presumptuous that we need to have all the information from them and be updated on a daily basis i think we have to pre- hold them accountable
2: go ahead louis louis you want to answer jim you're a big boy no we no can no talk jim, for
4: yourself. jim is right because the police lives are also at stake here it's not only public the police have to be concerned about these weapons on the streets and uh the fact that the inform someone's got to be demanding information whether it's politicians whether it's police right in terms of how did this happen and what can be put in place to make sure it doesn't happen again because this was not the only case in the last couple of weeks we had the the, the gun cash stash that was found out in in coots out in the west in in western canada that was coming across the border also
5: right well now now
4: you're not now you're dealing
5: with a with a trying to find a solution to a much bigger problem
2: yeah well and, that's what we've been that's what we've been trying to do for years jim
5: the problem is bringing different jurisdictions together with an organized plan and say, okay, where are the guns coming from? Okay, I mean, these ones were manufactured in Canada. I don't think most of the guns that enter into Ontario and the Toronto area come from Canada. I think they, they come across borders and porous borders. So you need to have a really, I don't, I, don't, I don't know, I haven't given it that much thought, but it, it appears to me that you'd have to get a task force of different jurisdictions put together a real comprehensive cl- uh, plan and cooperate and stop these damn
4: things from coming into the country. Well, Jim, I'll tell you. I'll tell you something. The last eight years, Jim, we've been talking about this. Bring the three levels of government together, but the three of them cannot work together because they all have different jurisdictions and they all have a role to play here. But for them to sit down at the same table and discuss a, a strategic action plan that engages all three of them, look, I'd rather go buy a lottery ticket than I would have more confidence in winning than this happening. <laughs> I, I don't pretty, blame you, and I, know, I understand where you're coming from. And I think
5: one of the issues is uh um when we're dealing with with government uh type agencies is jurisdiction uh it's uh uh their own turf their own pride exactly uh you know who's 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 going to take charge Uh, and and rather uh, as a criticism i find that Anytime a government gets involved and tries to get involved with different levels of government, it, it becomes more about turf war and who's in charge and protecting your turf did, did, and, did uh, you say and turf all the rest war? of it,
4: rather than getting the damn job done. You said turf war. Oh, man. Anyway, but well, you're absolutely right. You bang on. And there has to be some leadership here that forces them to do this, because the whole public safety issue is at stake if we if we continue to turn a blind eye to this appreciate the right, call appreciate
2: me. the call Jim thanks for weighing in uh Louis well I've still got you here uh, just for the for the record I don't, I'm not sure people understand uh Louis March is the founder of Zero Gun Violence Movement this isn't a passive quiet little organization that sits back uh Louis is the guy and his people they are, these are the people that are visiting with families and communities where kids are shot or kids are arrested and for 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 doing you know violent things with with firearms uh he's actually in the trenches with the families he's also in government offices He's, he's lobbying with the uh, municipal, federal, provincial. Uh, he is the guy, him and his organization. If it wasn't for folks like him, uh, we wouldn't be making any progress if we're making any progress at all. So, Louie, um, just want to give you a flip over here. We only got a little mm-hmm. bit of time left. We've got a little bit of time left. Um, the article says, city suffering consequences of an action on gun violence as the age of people involved in shootings in Toronto continue to trend younger. Um Pre- community activists are uh, blaming uh, multiple levels of government. Now we're ending up chasing bullets. Now we end up being shocked and acting a surprised that was predictable because it's been trending this way for years, according to Louis March. It's what you said here, the founder of Scarborough-based zero-gun violence movement, uh, which connects community organizations and so on, 14-year-old boy. Louis, they're getting younger. The victims are younger. The perpetrators are younger. Like, we're, uh, Where are we going here, man? Well, I, well I, I was
4: really happy to see uh, one of the uh, deputy
2: police chiefs
4: in Toronto having a press conference uh, this week to acknowledge to acknowledge this trend. Unfortunately, Yona, we've been talking about the change in characteristics and dynamics of gun violence for the last five, six years. And that's one of the things that we've identified beside the the access to guns and the caliber of guns and the willingness to use them about the age of the people using them. So this is not a surprise to us. If this is a surprise to the police or the public, then I wonder what have they been listening to because we've been speaking about the age. And the thing about the age is even when you bring on uh, Marcel on to the show, Marcel would say as a previous gang leader that they had codes about using guns They didn't want to use them unnecessarily because it would bring heat onto their business, onto themselves, and onto their neighborhood. The young ones using this gun, there's no code. They don't care. It's not rational anymore, right? It's about who can outgun each other. It's like the wild, wild west, right? And this is what we've seen, but we predicted this, right? And now, if this is what it takes to wake up people, because, yeah, a 13-year-old shooting a 15-year-old, a 14-year-old girl being shot, right? a 14-year-old shouldn't in broad daylight. Like, this has been trending this way, Riona. It's been trending this way for some time, and we have ignored you know, it.
2: You know, you said you said to me many times in our conversations, both privately and on air, that, you know, that what's Marcel Wilson is who you're referring to, Marcel Wilson from yeah, the One by yeah, One yeah. movement, um, exactly. another one of our friends, um, actively involved in this stuff. So, Mar, you know, Marcel would be the first one to say that, you know, the kids just don't have any value for life. They don't value their own and they don't value others um and this is a systemic problem that gun violence or no gun violence um is a systemic problem in 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 our society as you know we've been talking about it forever um and i know you're working hard to make change and hopefully giving you a voice here makes a little bit of change as well but at the end of the day you know we're moving towards the storm you've been predicting it i've been predicting it we've been talking about it scratching our heads thinking about it how we're going to do and it's just getting worse and worse and younger and younger in you know in in the the average age uh, a few not so long ago, the average age from t- 2015 to 2020 um, was 25 years of age for the average person linked to gun violence. Now that age has dropped below 20. And I believe if we do this analysis several years from now, we're going to find it drops below 18. You know, we're seeing more and more 13, 14, 15 year olds. And then they blame the communities. They blame the parents. They blame, you know, the, 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 the school system. And you and I know that's not the case. It's social media. It's have. social media. It's a lack of a rudder. It's a lack yeah, of alternative that's of choices. That's one of the
4: things we've all, we said the changing characteristics of gun violence, the influence of social media, the age, the caliber of the guns. You know, the, 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 the deputy chief said there were 50 casings in one shooting. 50 casings that they discovered, right? Yeah,
2: that's
4: just... And crazy. no one's asking the question, how come? How did it, How did we get here and what do we need to interrupt it, the city is working on their safety plan. It's a 10-year plan to invest in communities, invest in uh, education, employment, and so on. You know, between me and you, we need a 10-day plan at the rate exactly. we're going.
2: Exactly. There has
4: to be a sense of urgency. We have to move this thing quickly along and we have to get these stakeholders that Jim referred to, whether it's the federal government, the provincial and municipal, and the key stakeholders, we need to get them at the table and they need to be working together. And I'm talking to my.
2: Together. I'm talking to my good friend Louis March. He's the founder of Zero Gun Violence Movement. Louis, we'll just keep doing this until something changes. I really appreciate you spending uh, this half hour with us, and uh, I wish you well, my brother. And uh, we'll talk again real soon. Thank you all for joining me so far. We're uh, the, public,
4: the public needs to know, Yona, and this is why you're, you're you're providing this platform is so important. The public needs to know what's really going on.
2: I appreciate it, brother. And we'll keep, we'll keep you out there and we'll keep you, uh, keep you, uh, give you a platform whenever is required. I really appreciate you joining us. Uh, Louis March Zero Gun Violence Movement. When we come back, we're going to talk about the U.S. Olympic team, um, understanding now about what they need to do to help their, uh, their athletes, uh, in the Olympic, uh, environment and just in, in, uh, competitive sports generally. So I think probably a pretty good news story. We'll be right back with that. Yonabad 640 Toronto.
0: Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto.
2: That is what is
1: relevant and everything else is irrelevant. And it takes concentration. It's a muscle like any other. It's a skill set. We have to be able to focus on what is going to help us persevere, help us perform, and then really press mute on everything that is irrelevant
2: in the moment. Yeah, welcome back. Thank you for joining us this evening. This is Yona. You're on the road to recovery here at 640 Toronto. We appreciate you chiming in. Want to talk to us? Give us a call anytime here, 416-870-6400 or 888-225-8255. I missed this a little earlier, but I'll do it now. Do you know where your children are or your loved ones? If you don't, you need to reach out and find them or call 911 if you think they're in a bad way. <laughs> Include your pets, your kids, your adults, anybody in your life that you need to keep track of. And also want to let you know if you need to reach me at any point, you can also uh, reach me during the weekend. 877. Be glad to talk to you. Give me a chance to help you in any way I can, give you some advice or just to say hi. Glad to hear from you. Also, want to do a big shout out to Alicia. She's our executive producer tonight. She's actually Natasha's mom, but she's sending us information and little tidbits over text. So thanks, uh, Alicia. And we'll uh, be expecting your invoice uh, sometime later this week. Um, Anyway, listen, it's tough to be on the top uh, of a pedestal. It's tough to be in charge it's tough to be the the guy or the person. Uh, you know, t- t- for athletes in particular, it's very difficult to, to be in front of a large number of people uh, to perform and then to be noticed and to be applauded or booed or whatever. The stress around that. So I can only tell you that I can relate to it as a, as, as a um, sort of a connection to the kids that I work with in my youth program. We have several in our coaching practice that deal with, that are in high-level sports and likely on to Olympic quality and perhaps professional quality uh, sports. Several of them are are uh, in the gymnastics world, several of them in the uh, hockey, and several of them in the basketball world. Uh, but we um, work real hard on maintaining a good, clean focus. But it's difficult for kids. I, I I find it for, for teenagers to, typically they find it difficult to be kind of on, uh, under the spotlight or kind of on the pedestal, if you will, winning awards and so on. Um, you know, one of my boys, I won't mention which one, a brilliant student, uh, would do well enough to get an A, but not well enough to get on the principal's list because he didn't want to be called out by his other friends that weren't on the list. Uh, so just avoided enough just not to be called out. Didn't want the center shot, as they say. Uh, gymnast, uh, Simone Biles, she, um, four-time gold medalist we know she wrote a playbook on mental health in Tokyo kind of championing the athlete athletes well-being in a conversation but the US Olympic and Paralympic team uh, conducted mental health screens and around anxiety and depression last year to get a sense of what their athletes were really looking for prior to the Beijing games and they brought a draft of mental health resources to excuse me <laughs> brought a raft of mental health resources to the competition one of the pieces of feedback we got after Tokyo was I didn't have a crisis, so I didn't reach out. Um, but we're also trying to be clear that when we're not just here for crisis, we're here for the prevention and maintenance of good mental health, right? So as though the stresses of competing in the world's biggest stage aren't great enough, competitors at the games contend with isolation, anxiety over COVID, positive testing, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that could just in- instantly Take away or scuttle their Olympic dreams. American figure skater Vincent Zou, uh became the latest to see his Olympic dreams shattered by the pandemic. Announcing on Monday, he had to withdraw from this week's men's singles competition after testing positive. So some a- athletes are actually losing sleep uh, over the whole COVID test thing uh, at on uh, at, in, at the Olympics, according to Bartley. Uh, he was hired in um, in. Um, September 2020, by the Olympic Committee. It's the first of its kind. uh to, His job is actually to be in charge of mental health and uh, well-being for athletes. Uh, it was a generation of athletes that would suck it up in the old days, right? So now we're actually finding that there's a science in and in some real literature behind the fact that there's ways to address the issue before it becomes a crisis for many of these athletes. Makes for a stronger athlete. Makes for a stronger individual. It's hard to keep up. It's hard to stay on that pedestal. Uh, you know, Bartley, this uh, gentleman that took the, took the job, Mr. Bartley, he's a former collegiate soccer player with a doctorate in clinical psychology, and she hopes to, uh, to help and, and, and outdated ideas around mental health, uh, around uh, performance and high-level uh, skilled individuals. Let me tell you something, that I deal with a lot of really healthy kids on the outside. They look great. Physically, they're doing all the right things. Mentally, not so much. And it's very difficult for young kids, especially today, to keep up academically, socially, in terms of any athletic opportunities, opportunities to make a team, um, trying out you know, for kids that are, you know, the beginning of every year, the beginning of, of, of every school year, typically I get a lot of parents and kids calling, teenagers calling, looking for advice and support around, you know, uh, anxiety, trying out for a team, trying to get into the, on, on onto the drama club, uh, you know, you know, I had a kid last year who was near suicidal uh, in terms of their mindset uh, because she was, you know, wanted to run for school president and uh, although it was virtual, there was still a lot of Stuff done and uh, a lot of center shots, a lot of negative conversations uh, center way. You got to remember when you come out in the open, when you come out from the, from the shadow, so to speak, and you're out in this, you're out in the spotlight. Not only are people there to cheer you on, hopefully, and to support you and move you forward, but there's going to be a lot of haters, right? There's a lot of people that don't like you because you're this or you're that, or you made it and they didn't, or you did this and they can't. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of negative publicity that comes with positive publicity publicity is publicity when you're out in the open you're out in the open and for a lot of athletes prevent you know especially professional athletes at the level that we're talking about at the olympic level that we're talking about have a hard time you know dealing with naysayers and thinking they could do better and their own coaches and their own teammates and letting down a country and man oh man can you imagine the pressure I don't know, if you've ever been in a situation, I gotta, you know, I'd got love to hear from you, 416-870-6400. Ever been in a situation where you, you, know, you had to get up in front of the school or had to get up in front of a class or had to get up in front of a, you know, a team or something and make a speech or, or be presented? I had a kid last year who was being presented some incredible award from his, from his um, uh, community activities, and, and he was being presented some uh, youth humanitarian-style award and didn't want to go. And parents were calling me like, I don't understand. It's like an award. He's going to be, you know, lots of people are going to recognize him and support. And the kid like was vomiting in his in his bedroom because he didn't want to go. He just didn't want to be in the center of it all. He just would rather get the award, get the certificate, you know, which didn't mean much to him anyway. He did what he did because he was doing the right thing he thought anyway and good on him. He wasn't doing it for the kudos or the, or the recognition. But now that you're being recognized, it's like, no, 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 no. I don't really want to go. You know, kids don't really like the, the, the spotlight. They say they do sometimes. You know, I know some some young students that uh, love being in the spotlight. They're, they act, they sing, they dance, they play sp- certain kinds of sports. But at the end of the day, right, at the end of the day, they don't really want a lot of people looking at them, right? They might see their pimple. They might see the hair that's out of, out of place. They might see that they're too fat, they're too skinny. They don't like to be looked at that way, generally speaking it creates a lot of anxiety for a lot of young people. So too with these kind of athletes that we're talking about. So the fact that there's a holistic approach now and there's routine checks and checkups on the athletes, according to the U.S. team's um, press release here, and that there's actual people like this guy, Mr., like this person, uh, Ms., Ms. Bartley, sorry, I called him Mr. Bartley, Ms. Bartley, um, who's in that position to to help with that, that function. I think it's phenomenal. We're definitely heading in the right direction, but trust me when your kids come home and you know, don't want to go to school because they have to present uh, something in front of the class or something like that. And it's like, you'll do fine. You'll do great. Don't underestimate that the anxiety that they're dealing with could be so overwhelming that they actually are, are 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 having a hard time keeping their food down. So anyway, hopefully that was helpful. When we come back, we're going to, last little segment, we're going to talk about getting a prescription to go out and walk around in the park. Your doctor can do that. We're going to talk about that in a minute because I think it's a feel-good story and one that sends you off to sleep nicely tonight uh, after talking about all this real heavy stuff. So we'll be right back. Yonah Bud, 640 Toronto.
0: You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto.
2: And welcome back to the last segment of our show. You know, it's always a little sad for me because I love you guys, and I love being part of your lives in some little way, and I love you being a part of my life in some little way. Want to congratulate Natasha tonight. This is her first solo show. She did an amazing job. So, congrats to Natasha. I hope we're all clapping and uh, saying good job. Uh, Join me on Thursday nights, by the way. I'm on On Point with Alex Pearson. uh, On Thursday evenings, usually around 9 o'clock, we do something called the Wellness Check. We'd love to hear from you as well. Uh, But you're an amazing audience, and I appreciate you. And I appreciate that you join us uh, weekly and uh, share with us what you can. During the week, if you want to get a hold of us, send us an email, Recovery at 640toronto.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'll read the uh, emails if they're appropriate and uh, give you a voice... If possible. So free passes to Canada's national parks. It's good medicine, according to healthcare providers. The first time clinical counselor Tanya Clary prescribed a Parks Canada pass for anxiety, her clients seemed confused, but also pleasantly surprised that getting out in nature was considered a form of therapy that she didn't have to pay for. Clary said her many experiences in the backwoods of northern British Columbia as a mushroom hunter and amateur horticulturist have convinced her that the mood lifting health benefits of being outdoors. She believes giving a prescription of a free annual pass to national parks, historic sites and monuments provides more of a push for people to get outside and connect with nature than just telling them to go for a walk because it's good it's good medicine it's good to be physical and that is what we tell people we tell them that the you know exercise is important to good physical and mental health the passes are being offered by Parks Canada through its partnership with the British Columbia Parks Foundation to allow healthcare providers like doctors nurses and therapists who have registered for the program to prescribe nature to patients dealing with both physical and mental challenges uh, people are understanding that uh, you know, nature therapy is a big deal. The foundation launched a program called Park Prescriptions uh, or, PARC or or PARX in BC in November 2020 and expanded last year into Ontario, yay, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. So PARX is what we're looking for here in Ontario. But the Parks Canada passes were not being offered until now as part of a three-year initiative Um, that is expected to be available across the country. Uh, Andy Day, he's the CEO uh, of the foundation, said healthcare providers can prescribe passes to patients who would benefit most from connecting with nature, live close enough to national parks to access them regularly, and may not be able to afford the annual discovery uh, pass of 72 bucks. A limited number of passes will be offered to healthcare providers in each province, with those in BC getting 100 of them this year, and so on. Our role is to bring the concept of nature prescriptions to Canada and institutionalize it. I love this. we got about four minutes, five minutes before we go off air here. 416-870-6400 or 888-225-8255. If you got time, call me, text me, tell me what you think. Is this a good idea? I love it. I really do. A limited number of passes will be available, but um, the idea of people being able to get a free pass to national parks in Canada for the benefit of their prescription for their mental health, I think is amazing. So to take this a little bit further, one would hope that a person might be able to take some time off work if they're in a bad place to go for a walk in the park. I need to go for a walk in the park, whatever park that might be. It will be focused on people who really need the time in nature as a medical intervention for what's dealing with them. Uh, it's currently working with healthcare professionals, according to the of uh, this organization, professionals in Quebec as well, <coughs> to translate its website into French. It also expects to launch an app this year, giving patients more information on which places to visit while allowing them to log time spent outside and changes in their mood from filling the prescription. So not only do you get to go outside and walk around, but if you provide data and information, we'll be able to use that data and information going forward to help prepare programs for others, right? The federal environmental minister uh, said that he's re- who's also responsible for Parks Canada, called the program a breakthrough for how we treat mental and physical health challenges in Canada. Couldn't come at a better time as we continue to grapple with the imp- imp- impacts of COVID-19 on our lives, he said in a written statement. I'm confident this program will quickly show its enormous value to the well-being of patients as it continues to expand across the country. Dr. Marissa Lem, she's a family doctor and the director, actually, of the Park Prescriptions Program, said patients are handed a pres- written prescription for nature, outlining their treatment plan, like spending two hours a week outside, at least 20 minutes each, each time, to benefit from the green time. There's a huge body of evidence, actually, she goes on to say, that supports the idea that spending time in and around nature is good for our well-being. Well, I got to tell you, study or no study, if, I can, if I'm having a bad day and I can get to a place that, uh, shows me some water, some trees, some sun, you know, water for me is very therapeutic. I mean, when my weather, when the weather's decent, um, uh, pumpkin, my wife and I get to, her name is really pumpkin. We call her pumpkin to keep her anonymous, but pumpkin, my wife and I, you know, walk around the park. We walk around. There's like some lakes not far, little lakes not far from where we are. Water does it for me right? Just watching the the smoothness of water. Sunsets work really well for me. I like being out in treed areas during uh, late night sunsets and so on. But there's a lot of stuff. I got a lot of patients too. A lot of the uh, mental health addiction patients I treat um, that we get outside for a walk every day, even if it's cold. You know, and they have to then come back in and log that in your journal. You know, what did you experience in your walk? What did you experience? Some people just sit outside. I tell them, take your coffee, go sit outside in the morning, bundle up, just watch, look at the sky, listen to what's going on around you. Just, you know, find yourself your that that nice, common, little gentle place that makes you feel good. Similar programs exist like this, actually, in the United Kingdom and in the United States. But there's no national system for providing nature's prescriptions as is the aim in Canada. So patients in BC have responded positively to the prescriptions prior to the availability of the park passes, they say. What patients have said is that the prescription from their doctor does two things. It puts real weight behind the the recommendation of being outside, and it shows that we're prioritizing it just as much as a prescription medicine for their health. Absolutely. Fitness, sleep, and nutrition are as much a part of good mental and physical health as any mental health uh, uh, drug or any medicine, any medicinal interventions provided by a a medical practitioner, right? It is absolutely works like a charm even if you don't really want to. I tell lots of uh, patients, you know, if they're in a position to, to get a pet, you know, if they're, you know, I know that they're going to be healthy and they're going to be able to take care of the pet. You know, dogs in particular are the ones that I, you know, suggest because then you're forced to go for a walk every day. You need to take the dog for a walk every day and make sure that they're outside every day getting fresh air. And so are you over 1100 licensed healthcare providers in Canada are registered for the program. So talk to your doctor. See if you can get one of these free park passes. If you're dealing with issues that might uh, be helped by this type of prescription. Uh, thank you so much. For joining us this evening we're so happy to have you with us we will see you again next weekend god willing on saturday night at nine o'clock thursday night uh, wellness check on on point love to hear from you there as well just take care of each other right a little hug might not be a bad thing let the people that are close to you know that you love them that they mean something to you and that they're special and uh just be nice right this week we're just going to get out there and spread nice everywhere we go yona bud love you guys thanks for being here we'll see you next week peace